Welcome to the Progressivist Podcast. I'm once again not your host, but coming to you with yet another PSA. Today's podcast is the second installment of our two-part episode with Aja Barber. If you missed the first half, we recommend going back and listening to it first. Yet if you've already listened and are good to go, then welcome. Now, once again, back to our regular intro. Listening to the Progressivist Podcast, and I'm your host, Joe Lorenz. Join me each episode as we discuss how to use our collective voices to activate a progressive world founded upon climate, civil, and racial justice. In the first half of this episode, we talked about Aja's new book, Consumed, about what colonialism means and how we're all a part of it, on how, if you believe in climate, civil, and racial justice, you really need to start taking the fashion industry seriously. And finally, on cultural appropriation. And now, part two. Now, where were we? Yes, we were talking about cultural appropriation and you have a section on it in your book. In that same section too, you also touch on something that I recently spoke about with author Syra Rao, and that is that if you have a friend who is Black or Indigenous or a person of colour that is not talking to you about issues pertaining to race, then that's probably because that person doesn't trust you in this space. Exactly, exactly. And I spent my life creeping around white people's feelings with these topics. I'm Mm. just not going to do it anymore. It was probably up until I got into my late 20s, and I remember the moment I just felt like I just can't do this anymore. Mm. I offloaded, I would say maybe 30% of white people I knew within Mm. like a solid year. It was just like, I just mean on Facebook. (laughs) I'm like, and you have spent your entire life being made to feel good about these topics. It made to feel like your comfort is of utmost priority at all times in the conversation. And I'm not doing that anymore. It doesn't mean that I hate white people. It means I am speaking from my heart. And yeah, I lost a lot of people. You Mm. lose a lot of people when, when that happens, but God knows they were dead weight. And I'll tell you what, after Donald Trump won the election, Mm. I got messages from white people with a lot of, you know what, this whole time I thought you were just being mean, but actually it turns out you're right about some things. White people are not where we should be. I had a lot of white people with their tails between their legs being like, I wasn't saying anything, but I Mm. thought, oh, she's really harsh. You know, like telling Mm. me that they were being fragile, their silence Mm. spoke volumes to me. Mm. But then it took someone like Donald Trump Mm -hmm. winning the U.S. election for them to actually be shaken to their very core and Mm. thinking, oh, wow, white people, we really shit the bed this time. Right. And to recognize what white culture actually is. White culture is that keeping up with the Joneses. It is that bettering each other. It is that putting each other down. It is the the guns and the everything. Yeah. And the um, my kids have to go to the best school and I have to have the blondest hair and I blah, 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 all this yeah. stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, the only good thing to come out of Trump was the fact that we had a united enemy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so many people that were left-leaning therefore had this, you know, had this huge Voldemort in front of them that we were all kind but of I focused on like that. I we didn't organize like we should have. No. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, I felt like it was just like 
frenzied all over the placeness. I, I don't want to get too deep into like all the things that went wrong, but I feel like the left is really good at having a united enemy, but not realizing that. Yeah. We all have a general thing that we're trying to achieve. There's a difference mm-hmm. between a left of center, moderate, and there is a progressive. There's a world of difference yeah. between those two sets of people, but we are both on the left and we are basically overall trying to do things for what I would think is, you know, a good purpose for people and planet. But then it just comes down to people don't want to be inconvenienced. And too yeah. many people on the left are still But at too- the same time, we we chase our tails on stuff like my post saying like that I didn't hate AOC's post yes. should not be my most popular post. No. It shouldn't. Like you literally had people telling me that what she did was frivolous and fake and screaming at me, calling me names and telling me that this mm. is ridiculous. This is, you know, calling it stupid and like performative like, and she's horrible. And-, and, and I'm just like, she got a reaction out of you though. Like, yeah. sir. Or you do realize you're talking about a dress, right? Like right. I simply said, I didn't hate it. And that was enough for me to get over 50,000 likes oh while God. everybody is still sitting there calling it frivolous and silly. Yeah, exactly. Is, is that not our, like people can't see the wood for the trees sometimes. Mm. Like if it's performative and silly, why are you spending two hours writing Instagram stories about how much you just like me. Like yeah. And, and where's that same rage? Like, don't DM yeah. rage me. Rage, rage to a politician about climate change. You know, stop or, fucking how fighting about some me. Of the politicians that also attended the Met Gala and probably didn't make any sort of statement about anything. They right. just went and enjoyed the food, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The left is unfortunately way too well-versed in attacking its own rather than focusing on counteracting the bad faith arguments coming from the right, Um, which leads me very nicely into another topic that I wanted to discuss, critical race theory. Now, there's been so much ridiculous smoke and mirrors press from conservative-leaning press outlets right now. They feel like their dominance in controlling the narrative of other people's experience is threatened by critical race theory. That is why they're outraged, because for so long, the conversation about race has always had this, we get to whitewash Dr. Martin Luther King, even though when Dr. Martin Luther King was alive, many white people hated him. Now he's mm. ours and we get to do what we want with it. Yeah, we like get to people, cherry pick some of his quotes that it, serve our agenda yes, and then leave out it, all the other ones. That is exactly it. The reason why white people are so mad about critical race theory is because it threatens to take away their power in the conversation about yeah. racism and oppression. And that's really all this is. But people that don't understand critical race theory and aren't interested in actually learning what critical race theory is they cannot see it. It's like an invisible boogeyman. Instead of talking about race and allowing people who really are harmed by the negative outcomes of these oppressions to Mm. sort of take the mic and lead the conversation, they would rather argue about how we're leading the conversation. It's like, no, you can't hold the power. We need to hold the power. That's why critical race theory is harmful because it gives people that we've never given power to power in the conversation. But it isn't just, you know, the conservative critique of critical race theory. In the UK, like they've literally tried to like bury 
information about colonialism. Like mm. there was definite push for information about the negative impact of colonialism mm. to be buried. And then, of course, you have Trump's 1776 commission that also was about not telling the truth about American's history. So there's this really, now that we're starting to get the tools to talk about all of these systems in really clear and honest ways, there is a huge push to not allow us to do that. Because Mm. if we actually start to do that, that means distributing power equally and power Mm. has never been distributed equally in any of these systems. Yes, very much so. Um, it's all an intersectional thing, and it leads me nicely into another area. You're just mm-hmm. leading me down this path of what <laughs> I wanted to talk about, which is very nice. Um, intersectionality, you know, I, again, something you and I have yarned about a lot and a topic in which I always learn a lot from you. There is mm-hmm. a stat in Consumed mm-hmm. that made me do mega white lady shock face if I was a pearl wearer. They would consider them clutched. They would have been clutch-o-fucked-clutched. (laughs) And it is macho-clucked is maybe what I meant. Anyway, clutched they were. And, like, this quote is about um, median wealth and how issues like income equality Mm -hmm. coupled with things like intergenerational wealth um, Mm -hmm. have created such an abundant gap in America. For example, as you've said in your book, data shows or data, as you say Mm -hmm. when you're reading it, data shows (laughs) that um, a white woman's median wealth is in the range of about $40,000, whereas a black woman's is $100. Yes. Now, that that is is a huge, huge difference. Huge gap. I mean, what can white people do to address this? How can they redistribute the wealth? Oh, goodness. There are so many different ways that you can do that. The first thing you can just do is, give money to black and brown people who you think are doing good work. That's a really simple way to do it. If somebody has, you know, tip jar, hit mm-hmm. that tip jar up, mm-hmm. you know, reading books by black and brown people, that's a great way to do it. You know, when our books are celebrated, that means that more black and brown people get to write books. That's right. really it. There's a barrier for entry. All of these industries still have their, their lines that we can't see the invisible lines But when Black people's books start to do well, Mm. suddenly people are going, oh, maybe we should let more Black women write their books. So Mm. buying our books, supporting our work, but also challenging narratives at work, looking Mm. around in your office and being like, this office is very white Mm. and that probably shouldn't be the way it looks. You know, we're talking about critical race theory. It starts in school and Mm. you've got white parents right now who are... Mm screaming and clutching their pearls over critical race theory stand up to that shit Mm. like that that's an important one and it's an uncomfortable one because white people don't feel very comfortable telling their fellow white person when they're acting like a turd Mm. you know but that's that's the hard work but we're also of course in a place where you know angry white people are screaming about masks and screaming about the vaccine. So I get that there's a lot to really be like, I don't even know where to start, you know, but right now it's critical race theory. And you, Mm. you as a white person should be pushing for that to be something that your child learns about. You know, it's obviously going to take all sorts of elements. It isn't just education. It isn't just legislation. But as I say, with the fast fashion issue, do what you can at your intersection. 
Mm. You know, if you have a school age child, make sure that these topics are actually being addressed and covered in your child's school. Make sure that you're sending your kid to a, to a school that's diverse. Like mm. that's important. It's important for kids to be around a lot of different kids of different backgrounds. I think that's so true. And it's little tiny mm-hmm. things too. Like I grew up in a house where food was super important. My father and I used to talk about our breakfast as we were eating it and what we were going to have for lunch, what we were going to have for dinner and blah, blah, blah. Nice. I can uh, get down with that. Oh man, it's the best, right? But because of that, we always wanted to explore other cultures via our love of food. My dad always aimed for us to appreciate so many different cuisines as a means to appreciating diversity. We had a Vietnamese family in our neighborhood and mm. people would ask me what my favorite food was. And it was Vietnamese food. Mm. And I couldn't trace back where that came from. And then one day it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. The Vietnamese mom was always feeding me. When I went to their house, she would always put a plate of food down and I would dig in. I was a little pig. These are the experiences that that really sort of help us as adults and, and remind us of stuff. And Right now, we do have like food appropriation happening on a grand scale. We're yeah, like, whole cookbooks about whole cookbooks, whole exactly. cookbooks. You know, there's no point in going. Oh, let's just make sushi. You know, go and yeah. buy sushi from someone who's oh, actually from Japan. <laughs> now, before we move on to our final. 10 quick answer questions. I have one more thing I want to discuss, and it's a phrase that you say, have said many times, and you say it in your book, and it's every cause has an effect. So often privileged people seem to think that inequity will never affect them. But if you look at something like the climate crisis or at a more recent example. Oh, it's coming for us all. Yeah. Okay. Like a more recent example of COVID, just like you say in the book, and I love this, all these toxic systems are coming for you too. Oh, yeah, totally. I think um, rich people think that, like, they're going to be in this bunker. But Ayana Elizabeth Johnson's like, who's going to bring you food? Like, are you really going to farm all that yourself? Right. like, yeah, that's a really good point. Like, rich people think that their money is going to insulate them. And, like, when we think about, like, the fashion industry, let's just think about, like, the chemicals, right? The Mm. chemicals that go into the clothing and get into the water supply. Mm. All of our water supplies are connected in mm-hmm. some ways. Eventually, those microplastics will be in your tap water too. They yeah. probably already are. You might think that like those people in Indonesia, like, yeah, their river is polluted. That pollution isn't going to just stay in that one part of the world. I think we should do it because we care about other people. Mm. But if you don't care about other people, just know that you're not going to escape it either. Yeah, absolutely. Do it because you care about your own kids. I agree with you. People should be doing it because they give a fuck about everyone. But if not, do it because it's all one sky and it's all one atmosphere and it's all very much being affected right now. And every one planet. Most definitely. And we all need to start fighting for her. We need to start fighting for all of her inhabitants and we need to start regularly engaging in conversations that make us feel uncomfortable the ones around race, around climate change, around colonialism, as is discussed so perfectly within your book, because our communal lack of meaningful dialogue in these important areas is literally destroying us and our kids' futures. Not to be too heavy, but these are the facts, so I encourage all of our listeners to please be a part of these conversations to help 
build our future narrative. Yet now, without further ado, thank you for your time. And thank you, your cats, for their time and your husband for his time also. But Don't I have 10. for anything. They were rude little jerks today. All right. Like they were Fuck so Fuck those loud. guys. Fuck them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell them I said that. Um, <laughs> I have 10 quick answer questions for you. Are you ready for me mm-hmm. to fire them at you? Let's do it. All right. Home city. Reston, Virginia. Not a city. Let's just say D.C. is the closest city. <laughs> That'll do. Home area. We got it. Um, favorite city or area? Oh, it's a tie. I love London where I live, but I love Tokyo. Mm, yep. Two good cities right there. Two good cities. <laughs> um, all right. Define your personal style or attitude in three words. Mm. This is how you know I didn't get enough sleep because I'm like, my brain is really struggling with no, this No, I think one. it's just my incredible journalistic <laughs> skills. I, I'm like, do I want to do clothes or do I want to do my personality? Bold works for both. Yep. And then I would also say unafraid, but with humor. I've got humor. Like I, I, I think that I dress in a way that's that's fun. I like to hope that I'm fun. I try and keep the conversations fun that I have. I would definitely agree with that. You you definitely you talk about some very big topics, but you do it with humor. If you do it with fear, you don't motivate anyone to do anything because climate change is scary enough and people get their scary news from other places. I've got to keep it light because if not, you lose people and they just right. want to hide under a blanket. And some days I want to hide under the blanket too, so I can't blame them. Yeah, there are days for it, that's for sure. Um, okay, on that, words to live by or favorite quote? People are going to be mad no matter what you do, so you might as well do what you want. I like it. Um, What's your favorite drink? I prefer a nice matcha latte, sometimes on ice. Now, favorite movie or book? Favorite movie. It's hard because, like, I used to have, like, a bunch of movies that I really liked, and then as I get older and begin to realize that, like, shit's, kind of fucked up in the world i'm like oh that movie isn't so good anymore i know great either like oh oh, it's such a shit isn't it i i think the only one that i think hasn't been really like okay it's not so bad i like four weddings and a funeral that is a good one um but i'm with you there are so many lovely little rom-coms from the 80s and 90s that you now can't watch without you seeing feel a bit so uncomfortable. yeah so much yeah. misogyny so much racism so many stereotypes and you go yes oh that's shit that's and the shit. only reason four weddings in a funeral probably doesn't have racism is because there's no black people because they're all white <laughs> yeah oh it's yeah. such a bummer i watched um Romancing the Stone, not too long ago, which is just a nice little movie from my past. You know, it's obviously mm-hmm. a really old film, but yeah, it's just, it's still not bad, but it's littered with stereotypes the bad Middle Eastern guy. Oh and my goodness. This. Indiana Jones movies. Oh I my know. Now I watch them and I'm so like, Oh, you I know. know. I feel really uncomfortable with that. Especially Temple of Doom, which is my favorite, but there's just so many bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. It's still important to watch these films and know these. Like, we, I don't have to cancel these films from my life. And, like, my yeah. kids love Indiana Jones, for example, but then it's a conversation. You, you talk about it. And, right. and you know what? 
my dad did that when we were kids. So my dad loves my dad loves Audrey Hepburn. He oh my a, god, who doesn't? He is an he is an Audrey Hepburn fan for life. And so Love as it. a kid, we grew up watching. Um, actually, our favorite was Funny Face, which is like the underrated classic. But Love it, Funny Face. It's the fashion. And That's why it's it's the fashion. That was my favorite Funny Face, and then. When we finally watched Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm. I remember my sisters and I, and I think we're only aware of this because as Black people, we're used to being the butt of the joke. The Mickey Rooney character. Oh, yeah, it's he horrible. Plays the Japanese neighbor. Yeah. Just horrible. And it's I remember so us saying as kids to our dad, we don't like that character. My dad's like, yeah, because it's racist. Right. He's like, we can still admire that this film is beautiful in a lot of ways, but we can mm. also say that's a racist character that didn't belong in the film. Right. That's so clever. It's such an opportunity to admire. To have a conversation art, with kids. But have a yes. conversation. Um, you can, you, you don't have to say we're never watching this again, but you can watch it. And, and I could say this is similar to fast fashion as well. Hmm. You don't have to take your fast fashion and go, I'm never wearing this again. Cause that's part of the problem, right? We're going to dump it on the global South now. Right. No, you wear it. And when someone compliments it, you say, okay, actually, it's from this brand, but I don't shop there anymore, and here's why. Okay. We don't have to not talk about these things. You know, you can show the film to the kids, but you can also point out all the things that are really not great about the film. Perfectly put. All right, where am I? Sorry. Okay, three people you want at your dinner party and why, and these people could be dead, alive, or fictional. I think I'd like to have dinner with AOC. I think she's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I would have dinner with Kimberly Crenshaw. Absolutely. Yep. And I think that I would love to have dinner with Dr. Robert Bullard. No, I think that would be an interesting dinner. And I like that there's yeah. only one man. <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Oh. I didn't, for the record, and this is off the record, but I hope people notice, I didn't interview a single man for my book. Not one. Oh, I didn't notice that. And now that you said it, it's very clear. I do like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who yeah. needs them? Not one. We don't need them. <laughs> when you're not working, we'll find you doing or doing what or where? Um, in ballet class when a, when we're not in a pandemic. Um, and reading a book usually. Nice. Um, okay, my last question for you. Um, what is your piece of advice for someone who is looking to improve how they consume? Take a breather. Take a breather. It doesn't have to be forever, but I, I, I ask you to set a time period and go, okay, these two weeks, I'm going to unsubscribe to everything. Mm. I'm going to take all the apps off my phone and I'm going to see how I feel in two weeks because I find when we are in the system of perpetually buying, it's so normalized that we think that this is our identity and our identity is tied to this action. But if you give yourself a little bit of a breather, you might be surprised that after two weeks are up, you keep it going for a little while longer. And then before you know it, you're looking at that place you used to shop at and seeing everything I talk about and going, how did I do this for so mm. long? So I challenge people to slow down. If you have to buy underpants from that high street store that was in the news recently, I'm not going to show up and slap your money out of your hand and call you a bad person because <laughs> sometimes we got to do what we got to do. But the system runs on us doing a lot of things we don't have to do. So I would ask you to just simply slow down. Perfectly put. And I hope many people can do that because it's amazing what difference it will make to landfill and to all everything.
if we just yes. slow this shit down. Ajababa, you are a, a scholar and a gentleman. I adore <laughs> you. Thank you for being my pal, my buddy. I love you. Thank, thank you. you for your work. And Thank um, you for having me and thank you for, you know, just reading the book and giving me feedback. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait until we get to hang out again together because it's been a long pandemic, has it not? It has been a really long pandemic. So let's uh, let's do that. I, I see spritzes by a lake in Northern Virginia yes. in our future. I see that too. I absolutely see that too. Thanks for listening to the Progressivists podcast. Today's show is hosted by Joe Lorenz and brought to you by The Progressivists, the social movement dedicated to climate, civil, and racial justice. If you've enjoyed today's show, please remember to follow or subscribe to The Progressivist podcast. Follow us on Instagram, or if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, please head to our website, www.theprogressivist.com.